Good morning. As you can tell, things look a little bit different this morning. I'm still under quarantine from the coronavirus, but I'm feeling great and just excited to be able to connect with you electronically this morning. So, you know, these are interesting times. We've all kind of felt it a little bit, and they're interesting times in Washington as well. In fact, people who care about such things say that these are very important times. And what's really important is who Joe Biden is going to be picking to fill out key positions in his administration. And so people are looking and they're trying to understand, okay, who is he meeting with? Who's he talking to? Who's he going to appoint to this position? Who's he going to appoint to that position? And people are lobbying. They're jockeying for power, for influence to have this next president's ear. And billions of dollars are shifting around and moving from here to here to here because people are looking and they're trying to understand what are the policies that this, this next president will enact. How is he going to govern? How is he going to lead? And so the question comes as they're trying to decipher this, who are, who's going to be the people that influence him who have this president's ear? And so it's a very interesting question for us too, isn't it? Who is it? that has your ear? Who is it that you go to for counsel? Who is it that helps you understand how you're supposed to make sense of this world? Who is it that helps you understand how the world works and what life is really all about? Who is it that has your ear? Understand this is a question that Moses would be dealing with in Exodus chapter 6. He would have to understand, okay, in this world of chaos, in this world of confusion, who is he going to listen to? Who was it who is going to have his ear. So I'm excited because this morning we are jumping back into our series for this year, Hope for the 757. And it has been our theme, and we've looked how God worked through the events of the Exodus, how he reached into these to the lives of these Hebrew people. And he brings this people who are living in utter hopelessness and slavery in Egypt, and he begins to infuse them with hope giving them a purpose, reason for being, life, freedom, all these different things. And so as we kind of walk through this whole book this year, I'm excited to be able to jump back into Exodus chapter 6 this morning. But to do that, I think we need to do a little recap and just to remind ourselves where we are so far in the story of Exodus. You remember don't you, that it began almost back in Genesis, essentially. Pharaoh rewards Joseph because of his hard work and how he prepared Egypt to go through those years of famine and then just to prosper afterwards. And so Joseph's allowed to bring all of his family there to Egypt, to the land of Goshen, to live and to thrive there. But Joseph, he never forgets that he wasn't made for Egypt. He always remembered that, no, the Hebrew people, he himself, was made for Canaan. So he has this deathbed announcement where he says, as soon as we're able to get back to this land of promise, take my bones, bury me there, that's where I belong. But the Hebrew people at this point, they are in Egypt and they thrive in Egypt. They grow and they multiply. And really, this Hebrew nation is literally born into existence in Egypt. And so after centuries pass and the Hebrew people just become millions of people, a mighty nation, there arose a Pharaoh who had forgotten all about the debt that the Egyptians owed the Hebrews and owed Joseph. And he just saw the vast number of the Hebrews. And so he said, you know, we've got to do something. 
Because these people, I mean, they're so great in number. If they ever formed some kind of insurrection or anything, they would be quite a threat. We must do something about this. And so the Pharaoh says, this is what we need to do. We need to enslave all of the Hebrew people. So the Hebrews, they end up in slavery, but it doesn't crush the spirit of the Hebrews. In fact, they actually thrive during this time. They continue to grow. And so the Pharaoh says, we need to take more drastic measures. Here's what we're going to do. Every Hebrew male child that's born, every Hebrew baby boy, we're going to see to it that he's killed. We're just going to throw him into the Nile River to be eaten by the crocodiles. Well, as you can imagine, this is a difficult time. And it's during this time that Moses is born. Moses, a Hebrew baby boy, deserved that under law by that time just to be thrown to the crocodiles. But his mother and father, they were Levites. They were of what would become the priestly line in Israel. And they get together and they say, we, we've got to do something. And so they hatch a plan. And so their plan, they, they float Moses right under the nose of Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. And the princess, she sees this beautiful baby boy and her heart melts. She takes him as her own son. And at just the right time, Moses' older sister, she comes running out from the bushes. And she says, oh, I can see how much you love this baby boy. I can see how you want to raise him as your own. But, you know, you're so busy and everything. Why don't I find one of the Hebrew midwives to at least nurse him for a while till he's older? And the princess says, oh, very well, please go find someone. And of course, you know what happens. Miriam runs right back to her mother, Moses' mother. And Moses' mother is allowed to mother her own son, Moses, for a time. But the time would come when Moses would grow older and he would be returned to the princess. He would grow up in the palace. He would become a son of Pharaoh's court. He'd be given all the rights and all the privileges of a prince. But amazingly, incredibly, Moses never forgot who he was. He always remembered that he was a Hebrew. And so the day would come when he was about 40 years old and he was out in Egypt, kind of walking around on the grounds. And he sees this Egyptian taskmaster just brutally beating a, a Hebrew. And his heart just burned within him. And he says, this is not right. And so he took matters into his own hands. He killed that Egyptian taskmaster. And at this point, Moses becomes a fugitive. He's a wanted man. And so he's forced to flee. He forced, he's forced to run. And he runs to the wilderness of Midian. In Midian, again, he sees these, a group of sisters. And they're being harassed by a group of shepherds. And once again, Moses steps up. He defends the honor of these sisters. And because of this event, Moses, he's able to meet his future wife and his future father-in-law. And so in Midian, things look okay. Things seem like they're going pretty good for Moses. But Moses has a son, names him Gershom, means I'm a wanderer in a foreign land. Gives us a little insight into the heart, into the mind of Moses, what he's thinking we kind of get the idea that Moses he's, he's looking around and he's saying you know I wasn't made for the wilderness I, I was saved for more than this how is it that I ended up here doing this I always thought that my life would have amounted to more I grew up in a palace I had all this training I know that I'm a Hebrew I, I thought I could do something for my people I thought life would amount to more than this instead I'm just out here tending sheep but one day, as Moses was tending sheep, he sees this incredible phenomena. He sees a, a bush that's burning, but that just doesn't quite burn up. 
And so Moses, he walks over to the bush, and there he encounters God. God tells him, Moses, take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. And so Moses, he enters into this dialogue with God, and God says, hey, I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt, and I've come to set them free. And Moses, he says, yes, this is great news. I'm so glad to hear that the people are going to be free. And God says, and I'm going to use you to do it, Moses. And Moses says, no, God, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy anymore because now he'd been in Midian 40 years. And if those 40 years had taught him anything, it's that he was nobody. He, he, all those dreams that he thought he had when he was a younger man, well, they, they've all faded now. He's just a, a sheep farmer now. He knows he's not the guy to do this. And so Moses, he offers excuse after excuse as to why he's not the guy, as to why he can't be God's chosen instrument, his vessel to lead uh, his people out of Egypt. And God, he patiently answers each one of Moses' objections. And then he sends him on his way with a handful of miracles and Moses heads back to Egypt, talks to the Hebrews and goes right up to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, you need to let God's people go. This is what God says. You got to let them go so that they can go and worship him for three days. Then they'll be back. And Pharaoh, he says, well, hey, if God's people think they have all this time, they can just go and worship. Well, then they need to do some more work. And so he doubles their workload. Their quota for bricks was this amount. Now it's doubled. And Pharaoh says, on top of all that, you can go, you can find your own supplies. We're not going to be providing you the straw anymore. You go get it yourself. And so the conditions were just brutal. And the taskmasters became more evil. And the, the way that they brutally treated these Hebrews, it was terrible. And so the Hebrews, they go to Moses and they say, Moses, we didn't call you to come save us. Why do you have to come here anyway? You've made Pharaoh so mad that he just wants to kill all of us. Now, Mo, what are you doing, Moses? I mean, things were okay before. I mean, yeah, we're in slavery. Yeah, we have to build bricks, but it's not that bad. At least things are predictable. At least we know what's coming. And now you show up, Moses, and you've just ruined everything. And so Moses, he's beaten. He's broken down. He goes up back to God and says, God, I told you so. I told you I was nobody. I told you I wasn't up for this. I told you that they wouldn't listen to me. I told you Pharaoh would be angry. Why, why do you have to send me to this? I've just let everybody down all over again. But God, he wasn't going to be done with Moses. And so now God is going to respond to Moses. And that's really where we enter the scene in Exodus chapter 6. God's response to Moses. But at this point, you need to understand, we've seen like two great movements of hope through these first five chapters. We've seen this movement that hope begins with a burden. A burden of, of a people that, hey, we're not really made for Egypt. We're made for the promised land. A burden of a family who says, no, my son must live. Hope begins with a burden. And we've also seen that hope conquers fear. This fear of, oh, I'm, I'm a nobody, I can't do anything, God, how can you use me to accomplish anything? The hope comes in and says, no, you're going to go, you're going to go to Egypt, you're going to confront, you're going to have this conversation. That hope isn't going to let you just give up when things get hard. Hope conquers fear. And as we move into this next section, we'll see that hope dreams big dreams. Hope really does, it dreams big dreams. So let's go ahead and get started. We're reading from Exodus chapter 6, 
verses 1 through 13, and then I'm going to skip ahead to the end of the chapter, verses 26 through 30. Right there in the middle, there's this important section. It's a genealogy section about all the families in, in Egypt at that time, all the Hebrew families. But since it's a lot of hard names, we're just going to kind of jump ahead uh, to, the, to the end of the chapter. So let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and start. Exodus chapter 6, 1 through 13. It reads, But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to tell the people of Israel, Go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So now there's this genealogy section. We're just going to skip ahead past all these hard names, resuming in verse 26, okay? It reads, these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out of the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? You know, one of the things that I really appreciate, really enjoy about the story of Exodus is the prayers that Moses has, really these conversations that Moses have, has with God. And they really are just this honest, raw dialogue that kind of goes back and forth. In fact, if you ever want to do a study on prayer, the book of Exodus and these conversations that Moses has with God, it's a great place to start. I mean, do you remember some of the conversations that, that happened? There's this one time, right, when God says to Moses, uh, Moses, your people, they're, they're just frustrating me. And what does Moses say? My people, come on, God, I'm not, these, these are your people. I didn't give birth to these people. I didn't call you. You called me. And then there's this time a little later on when God says, you know, I am so frustrated with the people of, with the Hebrew people. I think I'm just going to wipe them out. We're going to start all over again. And Moses says, God, you can't do that. I mean, if you do that, you're going to have a massive PR problem on your hands. I mean, what, what's the rest of the world going to say that 
here's God. He could bring the people out of Egypt, but, you know, he couldn't get them home. He couldn't build them into a nation. I mean, what, what are they going to say about you, God? You just killed them to kind of save face, to per, prevent any kind of embarrassment or anything like that? You see, th these are just honest conversations that Moses has with God, and, and you get that in the book of Exodus. And it's, it's at this point where Moses, he essentially says to God, I told you so. And now God is responding in chapter six and we see just God's response. But Moses saying, God, why, why have you done this? I mean, things were okay for the people. They, yeah, they were in slavery. Yeah, they were building bricks, but at least it was predictable. It wasn't good, but it was okay. It was good enough. And, and look at the Hebrews now. I mean, they're so frustrated. Pharaoh's angry. People are getting brutalized. And all the Hebrews are dreaming about, <laughs> they just want the straw back. I mean, that's all they're saying. If we could just get this straw back, that, that would be good. See, the Hebrews, their focus is on how do we make this slavery that we're in a little bit better. See, they were aiming so low. And you understand? Apart from God, as people, oh, we aim so low. We think we aim high. I mean, we think we had these big dreams. Oh, man, if the Hebrew, if the Egyptians brought us the straw back, that would be big news. That would be big time. That would make life so much easier. We think we dream big dreams about that job, about that scenario, about that house, about that car. Oh, these dreams are so big. But God comes in and he says, no, 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 you're aiming so low the dreams i have for you the plans i have for you they're so much bigger i mean you see it right in the sermon on the mount we have these dreams and we have this thought okay if i just don't murder someone that's good jesus says you think you're good because you don't murder someone let me tell you if you hate somebody in your heart it's as good as murder you got this heart issue you've got to deal with I mean, we think, hey, if we don't commit adultery, you know, if we're faithful or true, this is good. Jesus comes in and says, hey, if you look at someone else lustfully, you've already committed adultery. See, it's not good. He's always raising the bar. You think you aim high. No, you got to aim higher. God, apart from God, we think we aim high, but we actually aim low. And so God, he, he tells Moses, he says, Moses, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, and I, I will deliver my people out of Egypt. I am, and I will. I can do the impossible. I will do the impossible. This land that I had promised to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, I will be the one to give it to, give it to the Hebrew people. I will do it. I, I will keep my promise. I will deliver them, every last one of them. That's why that genealogy is so important. All those people from all those families, how could they all be delivered? God says, I will. I am and I will. See, God is bringing Moses back to that initial conversation that, that Moses had with him. You remember the conversation when Moses says, hey, God, you know, if the people are to ask me who sent me, who am I supposed to say? Remember, that's kind of a coded question because what Moses is really asking is, is God, is there anything in your name? 
that would demonstrate to these people that you are present and that you're able to do something now. Yeah, we know what you did for Abraham. We know what you did for Isaac, for Jacob, Joseph, these people. But is there anything even in your name that suggests that you can do something now? And what's more, God, is when I'm talking to Pharaoh, when I'm talking to the Hebrews, I mean, how, how I, I need a name that I can just summon you and you're going to be there and you're going to show up and I can just know, okay, if I call you right in my moment of need that you're going to be there, I got to have you on speed dial, God. And God says, here's what you need to tell the people. You tell them that I am sent you. Uh, that the essence of being sent you. That, that I am. I am the ever-present one. I am always there. I'm not some God that's on speed dial that you just call me up and I show up when you need me. No, I'm already there. I have gone before you. I, I'm not some God that you just kind of reach out to when trouble hits. No, I'm already there. I'm already with you. You need to know I am. Am. I am the ever-present one. Moses is laying out this problem. And he says, hey, Pharaoh is evil. The people are grumbling. They're mad. They're not listening. I'm stuck in the middle of all this. God's answer, I am present. I am and I will. I am present. I am the ever-present one. And I will deliver my people from all this. See, God simply shows up in the conversation it's what happens because once we get a glimpse, once we get a hint of God's presence, his sovereignty, it infuses us with hope. You see it, right? In the book of Job. I mean, you take Job. I mean, he's lost everything. He's lost his family. He's lost his property. He's lost his health. He's lost everything. He has this conversation with God throughout the whole book. And then at the end of the book, God says, who is this that darkens my throne with words with, without knowledge? And Job, he, he, he says, I will shut my mouth. I, I, I will simply believe you are present, so things are going to be okay. Things are going to work out. Habakkuk, remember Habakkuk, the prophet, and he, he comes up to God and he says, God, you got to do something about the Israelites here. I mean, we, we got a problem. The Israelites, they're falling away from you. They're not following you the way that you should. You really need to step in. You need to do something. You need to get them back. God says, oh, I'm going to get him back. I, I got a plan, Habakkuk, a plan that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. My plan is to send the Babylonians in. And then Habakkuk, he responds and he says, God, the Babylonians, come on. You got to be kidding. The, ba the Babylonians are like, they're the most evil people ever. They're way worse than the Israelites. How in the world? You can't use them to do anything for the Israelites. Forget I said anything in the first place. And God says, don't you trust me, Habakkuk? Don't, don't, don't you believe that I am and I will and it's going to be good? And so Habakkuk says, yeah, I, I believe, I, I trust. Why? Because God is present. I am. He is there. And just the hint of that, just the hint of the presence of God, just that, that he really is present, just a whiff of his sovereignty, it calms our heart and hope begins terrain when God says I am I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob I will deliver my people I will bring them to this land of promise I, I will keep my promises I am the one on the throne and I am at work and I will accomplish everything I said I would accomplish and then he says to Moses because I am you are because I will you can. I am the Lord your God, Moses, and I am the one who's going to fight the battle through you. I, I am going to use you 
to deliver the people. I am going to use you. And because I am, you are. Because I will, you can. It's a great reminder for us, isn't it? That God says the same thing to us. You know, God, he works so different than we do. We always say to people based on what they've already done. You know, it, it, a guy negotiates a really great deal for the company and we say, oh man, you're the man. Somebody, they go out and they're just this great salesperson. They make all kinds of, of, of sales and generates all this revenue for the company. Just a really great saleswoman. And we say, oh, you go girl, you really got it. You know, we, we look at people based on what they've done. And then based on what they've done, we describe them, we talk about them, we, we say things about them. You're awesome, you're indispensable, you're so good. You think about the way that God names people. You know, it's funny how oftentimes in the Bible you see people come to God and then God gives them this new name. You see it, Abram becomes Abraham, uh, Jacob becomes Israel, uh, Simon becomes Peter. And you take these examples and let's start with uh, Simon, okay? You remember how his name was changed? There, there's a, a meeting that's happening with the disciples and God says, okay, I've got a question for you, a little pop quiz time. What are the people saying about me? Who do they say I am? And you remember the disciples at this point, oh man, that's an easy one. We know this. They're all raising their hands. Yes, we know what the people are saying about you, God. They're saying that you're John the Baptist or that you're Elijah or that you're one of the prophets. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. But what about you? Who do you say? That I am. Things start to get a little quieter now. It's a little more difficult of a question. But Simon, he pipes up, this loud mouth fisherman, he pipes up and he says, Oh, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And at that moment, Jesus says, Oh, you're right, Simon. And that wasn't given to you just out of your own knowledge. No, that was given to you from God on high. And because of this, now I'm going to call you. Peter, you are the rock, and upon this type of faith, I'm going to build my church. Now, if you're one of the disciples, and you're there, and you're listening to this, you're saying, Simon, really? I mean, come on, this guy, he's always shooting his mouth off, saying this, saying that. This is some rock? I mean, come on, Simon would be the guy who would fold under the interrogation of a teenage girl, just like cheap lawn furniture. I mean, Simon, come on, he's not a rock, he's more like silly putty. And then, but God, but God gave him that name, Peter, the rock, to Abram, when he doesn't have any kids, I mean, no legitimate kids of his own, God says, I'm going to give you the name Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. Like, he's not the father of anybody yet, and you're calling him Abraham? I mean, Jacob, I'm going to call you Israel. This, this nation, there's no nation yet, it's just a family, and you're calling him Israel, some nation? I mean, you understand God, he says things about us before we would look and even say they're true of us. And he still does that to you and me. You know, if you're listening, God says the same thing to you and me. God says, I am the Lord your God. And here's who you are. You are the light of the world. You are my witnesses. You are my ambassadors. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God says all this about us. And we would look at ourselves and say, who, me? I, I don't 
don't know that I'm that. I don't feel like some royal priesthood. I don't feel like some holy nation. I, I'm not some great evangelist, some ambassador, the light of the world. I mean, light, it, it's not always bright in my life. We, we look at our, cir our circumstances and we say, I don't know if I would say that about me. And God says, hey, because I am, you are. Because I will, you can. And maybe you need to hear that this morning, that you need to understand that this is what God says about you. This is who he says you are. Why does he say you are that? Because he is. And because he is present, that just calms down the conversation. It stills everything. When we get a whiff of his sovereignty, oh, our hearts calm down. Hope begins to reign. You know, Moses, he, he talked to the Hebrews, and we, we saw it. He, he, he gets this great message from God. He goes, he relays it to the Hebrews, and the Hebrews said, Moses, we're not listening to you. Why? Because they're just listening to each other. Moses, he didn't have their ear at that point. They just had each other's ear. And their dreams, oh, their dreams were just to get some straw back from the Egyptians. Moses, he says, no, God, God has bigger dreams for you than this. He wants more for you than this. He wants to get you out of here. He wants to free you from slavery, from the clutches of Pharaoh. He, he has bigger dreams for you than this. See, Moses, he was beginning to have God just infuse in him this hope. Oh, he wasn't there yet. I mean, even at the end of the chapter, we see that God saying, Moses saying to God, God, how are they going to listen to me? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man of, of uncircumcised lips. And they're, they're not going to pay any attention to what I have to say. How, how are you going to use me? But God continued to press into him because hope dreams big dreams. Big dreams for more than just life here and now. More than just straw. More, more than that. Hope dreams, big dreams, dreams of freedom, dreams of a world beyond Egypt, dreams of impact. So we get to this point and, and we're looking and we, and we see that uh, who has your ear? Who is it that comes alongside? Are you going to listen to the noise of the Hebrews or are you going to listen to what God says about you? You know, the Hebrews, they, they, they look, they see what's going on, and they're just listening to, to each other. And you know what? The world will tell you similar things. The world will tell you, oh, this is impossible. That's never going to happen. You can't do this. Let's work in, with the realms of reality here. The world will tell you at times, oh, you're a failure. You don't measure up. Oh, if you want to measure up, if you want to be somebody, then you've got to do this. You've got to do that. Then you'll be someone. God says, no, because I am, you are. You are right now. This is who you are. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. It doesn't even matter what you say about you. What matters is what God says about you. Even before you've done anything, God says, because I am, you are. And you see, the question does indeed come. Who are you listening to? Who really does have your ear? Who helps you determine reality? Is it your friends? Friends who, who may say, hey, don't, don't go over the top with this Jesus stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, show up when you can and hold that distance. It's good to have some beliefs, some roots. But, I mean, let's not, go, let's not go nuts about it here. Is it culture? Is it a culture who goes and tells you, hey, this is what success is. This is what life is really about. This is how the world works. This is how you get ahead. This is how you come out on top. This is what it looks like to really be somebody. See, the culture will come in and they will they will enslave you into this worldly way 
of thinking that says, hey, this is life. It's not all that bad. It's okay. This is what you do to get ahead. The Hebrews, you know, they just had the ear of one another. And then they just had all this noise circling in their head, dreaming small dreams, believing that slavery in Egypt was the best that life could be. So let's just determine how to make slavery just a little bit better. But God had the, mirror, the ear of a man who spent a lot of time just wandering around in Midian. And God said to Moses, hey, because I am, you are. Because I will, you can. I am, you are. I will, you can. I am God, you are Moses. I will deliver my people, you can stand up to Pharaoh. You know, he says the same thing to us. I am God, you are my witnesses. I will build my church, you can share Jesus and impact people. He says the same thing to us if he really has your ear. And you hear him say, because I am, you are. Because I will, you can. So does God have your ear? Or have you turned in just to the madness, to the noise of the world? Do you look at things and just think, oh, everything's falling apart. What's the best we can accomplish with this kind of reality? See, God never intends for you to live that way. No, he, he doesn't want you just to think about eternal life one day with him. No, he wants you to think about abundant life here and now. How to live with this confidence, with this hope. Because hope dreams big dreams. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do infuse us with hope merely by your being. Because you are this ever-present one. And so, God, into the madness, into the noise of this world, you speak to us and you say, because I am, you are, because I will, you can. And so, God, we hold on to that this morning. We really do believe that you are God. And because of that, we are your witnesses that you really will build your church. And we really can share Jesus and impact people. But we understand that we need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.